You're listening to the Mobcast Network. And roll sound. Sound speeds and marker. Action. Welcome to the Between the Line podcast. The filmmaking podcast that navigates the line between professionalism and fandom. The technical and the creative. The successful and we're your hosts, Drew Hall. And Horse Rubin. That's backwards. I'm Drew Hall. You're Horse Rubin. Well, you know, we sound so much alike, apparently, that uh, it doesn't really matter. We can just stand in for each other. You no, know, funny enough, it's like you go to the Comic-Con and they have your picture, my name, my picture, your name. It is the story of our career, really. It is really exactly the same kind of thing. I'm excited uh, about today because we have a really good friend with us. Uh, his name's Jared Jones. We'll be interviewing him. He is a professional Hollywood sound mixer. <laughs> he definitely is. I've known Jared for... Holy cow, back in uh, 96, 97, somewhere in that space. Yeah, I, I met him on uh, on this uh, student film <laughs> yeah. that I came and I helped out with. He was not a sound mixer, but an actor. Yeah, Did, can you tell me about yeah. that student film so, group? Yeah, the, the first thing I ever made was uh, my first short film was called Flush. Uh, I needed an actor, and I'll let Jared tell a little bit of the acting side when we, when we kick it over to him. But uh, I made a student film called Flush, and uh, Jared was my lead in it, and it was just terribly adult movie for a for a 20 something year old kid i think we were in our 20s and uh we were young and uh jared came in and and did great on the performance side did everything we needed him to do the hard part was we had to do the old double sync system sound we were shooting on a bolex h16 rex and we had to do the old double system and uh jared didn't open his mouth very much so when we went back to hand sync things the irony of this is that the production audio was okay, but we had to hand sync everything by literally cutting every line to match his lips. And then we would guess. It was like we invented bad lip reading before bad lip reading really existed. <laughs> it was a terrible thing. So without further ado... Ladies uh, and gentlemen. The infamous... The one, the only. Jared Jones. Hi, Not Jared. to be confused with Jessica. Hi, Jared. Mm, hello, Horst. That's Horst's voice. Yes, this is me. Which, to jump back a little bit... Yeah, go ahead. Y'all do dress alike on set, too. Yeah, that is uh, it's true. It's a common thing. Yeah. Yeah, so I'm Jared Jones. I, I, oddly to say, I am a Hollywood sound mixer, and I'm in the 695 out there as well. So, so you're like the that's real... That's my union, yeah. Yeah, you're the yeah. real sort of, uh, the real guy behind that's the... That's just weird to even hear, to be honest, after y'all said that. So. Well... <laughs> We thought we'd grab Jared when he was home from his illustrious L.A. Uh, living uh, <laughs> back here in, in the secret uh, vault of uh, nerddom. Um, but we wanted to at least just touch base with you and, and see, because you kind of have an interesting story that I think is really relevant in a lot of ways to to what we're trying to do with the podcast. Absolutely. You know, because you know, we're talking about between the line, the professionalism, um, being a professional in this industry, being a fan in this industry, how to succeed. You know, all these all these things, you know, people have to ride between the lines. And right. for you, as we said, you started off as an actor. You started off on one line, one, yeah, one side of the camera. it's been kind of an oddball journey Yeah. So how, how, how did you go from being an actor to now this illustrious <laughs> career as a sound man? Uh, well, years ago, I was hanging out at a local coffee shop and... Um, not much going on in my life, not much direction, and still trying to find that direction, as always. I think most of us are. That's, that's why we're between the line. <laughs> uh, but this guy was having an audition for a, uh, not really even a student film. It was just a film that he was wanting to do, and he was looking for an actor. So I was like, oh, why not? What else am I doing? So I auditioned and got the lead role for this part. Was that exciting for you at the time? At the time, it was. And then, you know, looking back on it, it's like there really wasn't much dialogue, so it was kind of great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, in fact, I, I'm pretty sure it was almost a silent film, wasn't it? Yeah, essentially, yeah. Uh, and <laughs> I want to say a year or two after we finished filming, he actually called me back to want to do more stuff. I was like, I've changed quite a bit. I've lost more hair. <laughs> Which, if any of you know me, I have no hair. He's no. We so. prefer streamlined. Yeah, I am. Stre well, I like to say it's what it is is my psychic abilities burning the hair off my head, so I'm becoming more and more psychic. Jared, like someone. Jared. Yes. I'm Scan sorry. me. Yeah, well, it's pretty easy. You're either thinking about Star Wars, think sex, or chickens. Well, think about Professor X. He's bald. Yeah, uh, yeah fair true, enough. True. I'll, I'll buy in. I'll buy in on it. All right. So you do you do this picture with 
the filmmaker. Correct. And and then you go on to do another picture. I go on to do another picture as an actor, um, which I you know I remember us meeting on happenstance, and we ended up talking because I was doing photography. Yeah, I think it was it was at the same coffee shop. It was. I can't remember if I was working there or not. You were. Okay, so. You happened we, to walk out. I, I distinctly remember this. Uh, you happened to walk out. I was sitting out there showing pictures or looking through pictures. I don't even remember if I was sitting with anybody. And, we and just, by looking through, let's define this because it's kind of important. Uh-huh. They were real photographs. Yes, they were black and white film photographs. Stills, not on his phone, not, not on, on his laptop, not, not scanned I, in. Well, to date us a little bit. Cell phones didn't have pictures back then. No, they didn't have cameras either. In fact, I don't think we had cell phones. We actually traded pager numbers. Yeah, I believe we did trade pager oh, numbers. Oh, wow. <laughs> I used to... Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, it's... Back in the 1400s. No. When we were boys... Well, we, that, that was yeah. back in the 1900s. Yeah, it was... A, yeah, there we go, mid-Atlantic. Uh, anyway, all right, so we meet. We strike a conversation. Right. I'm uh, an ambitious little arrogant shit. We hang out... Um, we ended up actually becoming roommates, and before we were roommates, we had a trip up to St. Louis where we actually hashed out a lot of the flush details before we started filming. That's correct. So um, yeah, we drove up to St. Louis to visit Tony Nick Najati, uh, who may will or may be not, a guest on the show at some point. Yeah, you, you he will has soon to. Learn. Yeah, he's he just too much has. fun. He's also a numbers guy, which is a segment that hopefully it's either happened or it hasn't happened yet. But the numbers segment is fun because Tony's obsessed. Uh, although working in the business, not in the marketing numbers world, he is obsessed with them. Right. And so he constantly studies the box office. And is, it's truly, he's pretty damn accurate. Like, he's almost like, he's well, one of those. I uh, think that also kind of coincides with his obsession with sports statistics, too. It is exactly, the and wrestling statistics. And don't wrestling, forget. Yeah. Yeah. He okay. just, he's a statistic guy. He's a number guy. He's a number guy. And so, all right, so we meet, we drive up, we hush out, we, we flush out, flush. Ha-ha. Ha-ha. No? Flush. Well, you could make something flush. That was the kind uh, of okay. So flush out, flush. Flush out, flush is probably yeah. better. <laughs> so we get together. We put it. We put this movie together. So we mm-hmm. shoot the film, and and let's just let's just jump ahead a little bit and say that we've been friends. Yeah, since. we've been friends since. Right. In my um, wedding, the whole game. Yeah. Uh, gosh, let's see here. So at the time, I was acting, and I, I never really thought I was a great actor, but that's my. No, you're fine. I you're did what I needed to do. You did what you needed to do, and you did fine at it. And I was working in a nut and bolt factory. Quite literally. Literally making nuts and bolts, yes. And um, kind of never really looked at film as a possible career for me at all. So, Ever. And I'm not pointing this out in any negative light. Just oh, no, absolutely. putting it out there is that you actually don't have a degree beyond. No, I never. No I went to high school. Right. And then I graduated, and then. Like I said, I was just trying to find my path in life. Right. And I knew for me, college or further education as far as an establishment like college or a university was not for me. Right. Never has been. Right. And so it, it's, it, it, keep that in mind as we kind of go through Jared's story because I think it gets pretty interesting when you bring into perspective this idea that here, here's a, a gentleman who now has been professionally working in this industry since when did we officially when did you jump over and go into sound was it oh. is 2002 or three it's a hazy phase but it, no no uh, professionally uh, well the nut and bolt industry collapsed underneath me in 2005 you might say it came apart it came apart then the, the <laughs> oh, God. So, Welcome to the pun podcast. Uh, pun so, yeah, at that point, I hit a, a milestone in my life where I had to figure out what my next step was. And um, I was actually going to work for a coffee company as an assistant manager and went through a interview process for about two weeks. And then they decided they didn't want me. So I scrambled again um, and talked to my dear friend who's sitting across from me right now, and said, hey, do you know anything? And he got me into, um, well, him and another gentleman, um, another professional professional in the yeah. industry. It's a guy, a guy named Todd. Shares yeah. the same last name as me, but he'll, we'll both say no relation. Right. For different reasons. They both helped me get along, uh, or get upon a company, uh, Mudbrick Media. And from that point, 
I really I looked at it and I, and you could tell me if you, if you saw it differently. I looked at it as I was just going to join this company as a flunky and just kind of learn where what yeah, to do. I mean, you were kind of a production assistant was the goal was yeah. to kind of put you at entry level. It was what I was entry very level was. very much entry level cuz honestly I dabbled in film and video and audio production but never in a serious capacity. Right. So I started off as essentially a PA. Um, and then from that point on, it just slowly grew and grew. So about 2005 is when I started in the television film aspects of things, but right. not really film, I don't guess. No, no. I don't really look at it. Yeah. Film, I look at about 2011. Yeah, and that's when, um, yeah, because we don't count the, uh, the the infamous 10 one. Yeah. Um, yeah, so, all right, so jumping ahead, we work at this place. Uh, Horst was there for a brief bit. We all had a stent in the same thing. Uh, we were all friends, and we all, uh, Horst got me the job. I got Jared the job. It was a triangle of love. We all worked together, dogs and cats. You will find that in this career, nepotism will get you far. Yeah, no, that's, that's fact. All right, so we start working together. We do our thing, and then, um, you know, we get into the film business. Horst goes away and, and moves to New Zealand, and we have his story. Uh, Jared's still in the, in the, in the building. Um, I go away. Uh, you, you do some stuff. Probably don't really want to go into a lot of details there. We do yeah. some of these things. Um, I come back, get hired by the, the, the executive producer that would later fund our pictures, and he kind of puts us in the table and, and lets us turns us loose a bit. And so you go from doing kind of post-audio primarily. Yeah, well, in that stint, say 2005, right. 2011, I kind of learned all aspects behind the camera, post-production, sound, um, post-production sound, post-production editing. I learned a, l- a little bit of each. I was kind of a Swiss Army knife, right. the way I like to look at it. You know, some special effects, nothing great, nothing towards what other people in this sitting across from me can do. <laughs> right. <laughs> but, yeah, I, I mean, I, which to me was a very valuable lesson is the fact that I got to sample everything of what people are doing so when it comes to working with other people i kind of have an idea of what they're having to go through and i can give them the respect that they deserve in their field that they're doing and their craft so to me kind of fiddling around with everything is really important um, because it allows you to work better with other people so you can kind of grasp an idea of what they do I, and I, I like that aspect because I have a, kind of a similar mentality. Like, you know, right now I do VFX, but I, I have literally been in just about every single department on the film set. And more often than not, I find that actually gives me respect from other crew members because when I talk to them, because you have to communicate with other crew members, you know what you're talking about. You can also approach it kind of from their perspective. And when you can understand them and their perspective and you know how to make their job easier and communicate that to them, they'll work with you. And that's really important. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's something Drew and I have discussed several times is, you know, you film as a whole is probably the most collaborative art project you can do. Or, I mean, it's an art business, but depends on where you're at in your, I guess, in your career. But it's the most collaborative art form out there because you have to work with other departments. I mean, you have sound, which I'm going to name first because I'm in it. You have uh, lighting. You have grips. You have uh, costumes. You have decorators, uh, set decorators. Uh, list goes on and on and on. Yeah, I mean, you and have you're, this. And you're all working together. Yeah. You have the back of the... If for a sound guy, you sure do bump the mic a lot. I'm not used to handling. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> uh, but you know, so as you're saying, it's the back of the call sheet. I mean, right. everybody in those departments, they all have a purpose, they all have an origin, they have a, a reason to be there, and so forth. Absolutely. And, and kind of understanding, and, and just in general, having appreciation for those departments, I believe, is is crucial. And it's one of the things of if you can go PA and you're breaking into the business, go PA as much as you can to to learn. This kind of stuff, and and see if you can be a sound PA, be a utility PA, absolutely. Uh, go down the, be a camera PA, uh, work in art department, and see what hours are really like because they, you know, art at least in my world has always had like the crazy hours. They're always the ones. Oh, getting, they do. They you do. know, the, the overtime. Well, uh, they're approval. working before you, while you're working, and after. Right, they're constantly on the shift, so it's kind of an interesting thing to go go into it. All right, so you do the mud brick thing. 
we kind of roll into that for a bit. We get into the movie business. You and I work together consecutively on, on three little uh, independent films. I don't count one of them. We work together on three uh, indie films. Well, I was going to go into the other. What for? I don't count the first one. We have the trilogy. Yeah. And actually five. Yeah, yeah but I was going to get to those. So the first three, though, were kind of, we, we claim those as somewhat learning curves. We, oh, absolutely. All right. Absolutely. Well, I mean, theoretically, anytime you're doing something, you're learning from it. Right, which is a, a note to make for everybody listening that goes further into your career. So we start on those. We do these three pictures. Uh, Sons of Liberty being the one I would argue is the... The, the breakout point for the us. The breakout point. Well, not just for, for us, but for you. I mean, yeah. you've gotten good sound on other ones, and but it was Sons where you really went through, and, and not only were you the on-set mixer. Yeah, I was on-set mixer and post-production. All of it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all of the post audio. I was post production. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so in post audio, what was one of the things you learned? Because that's also the first time we had a chance to go mix in a in a professional stage. Oh yeah. Uh, with Sonic Pool, uh, that we've all kind of been to now. So what was what was one of the things you learned from that picture? Maybe that you could share on that because that's an interesting thing. This is your third show in, fourth technically, but third show in. Um, what do what do you take away from that that project? Oh, man. Um, well. At that point, I'd learned a lot, a lot better miking techniques for production, um, and wow, you really put me on the spot here. Well, that's the fun <laughs> of the the interview. Um, well, just the whole process because it was the first one where we went to deliverable, correct? And how to? I mean, something I've never. I knew of in post-production. What is a deliverable for somebody who might not know that term? Uh, oh, man, you're making me define that. <laughs> it's, well, just it's, on the audio side. On the audio side. On the audio side, well, you, having to break up the sound effects from the practical, not practical, the sound effects versus the foley versus the music versus the dialogue and how you have to have everything separated and not hit the mic again. It's okay. Um yeah, ha- having that all that separated, um, having to be able to uh, practical sound versus a Hollywood sound is like the way I like to put it. With gunshots, it's something we discussed quite heavily on that film because well, there was a length. lot. Yeah, yeah, we had a lot of gunshots, and and I wouldn't take canned ones. Right, and so y- you wouldn't take canned ones. So we sat and literally designed gunshot elements right. to be unique. And then they weren't necessarily the actual guns that were on screen, but we used and combined different gun sounds for the hero, for the villain, for just the extra holding a gun. Uh, it was a matter of like giving the gun a character and accenting the character on screen with the sound as well. Yeah. So, and that's what that was really kind of my first steps into thinking about and doing things like that. Because uh, the prior, well, the other thing was the prior film we worked on. It had elements of sound that were irritating. Yeah. <laughs> I led us down a weird path. That's and, all we have to... Uh, we experimented. Yeah, we did. But we went experimental. in your early career, you have to do that. You have to learn. Right. For me, and this is why I've never been a college-type person, I have to do to learn. Right. To educate myself. You're going to tell me that oven's hot. I'm going to touch the oven to make sure it's hot. Right. And I, I need to know. No, and that's it's a completely we've talked about it, horse and I both. I mean, it's a completely legitimate idea. I, I have no issue with it having the theory, right? You come out of film school and you have theory and you have knowledge, but really, most people that come out of the school that go into production, they've shot a bunch of stuff along the way. So it is still coming down to the very same, the root of oh, where you're coming from. Absolutely, is the same. absolutely. How you get to the the point of learning to create content on your own, systematically driving it yourself, is what's important. Right. Well, I mean, essentially, people can tell you not to do something, and you, you'll still do it. Or you can listen to them and not do it, but you won't know why. Right, right. And now that I'm older, I can, list, I can kind of filter when and when not to do it. Right. Because um, there's sometimes you just you have a feeling you know something's going to work, even though someone's telling you not to do it. You kind of you, you learn to listen to your gut when you need to, right? And that's experience. Yeah. So, 
we come out of uh, Mudbrick. Uh, we do the pictures. Go ahead. Did you have something? Well, I was just going to say, what, what was your leap then to the Hollywood style of mixing? Like, how did you get from doing uh, Well, I mean, films? I was graced with the chance to go out to Hollywood on that film and, and go to a uh, THX certified theater to listen to the difference between my office and a theater. Yeah, <laughs> right. And, uh, and how much I didn't know. I really just didn't know the the post production side of things, and there's still so much more I need to learn. Uh, and eventually, I'll get there. Uh, I mean, right now, where my career is is I'm concentrated on production versus post production. I'd love to get more into post production. That's a goal of mine. Uh, which goals are important for people? Uh, it gives you something to look forward to. Uh, but so yeah, it's uh, was it that trip then that got you your you know kind of big break into doing larger Hollywood films, or was there something else that happened later that kind of because oh, it was something else later. And how how did that happen? I guess is my question. What was your transition to going from independent films in in Alabama to you know being able to travel the country, working on you know big features and television shows? And that it's one of those things that people tell you until it happens to you. Um, you have to get fired. Nice. Essentially, yeah. Well, well I mean, well, I mean fairness, let the, go. Yeah, the fired. contract. The contract ends. Yeah, you contract ends. You get, and it's just the same as when the company I was working for, making the nuts and bolts, failed. I had to find something to do. Um, it just so happens I was in an industry where I enjoyed it, so I wanted to per- keep pursuing that. So as I my contract ended and I got let go from the production company. Um, I had to find work, which was one of the best things that ever happened to me. It really kind of straightened out my personal life, too, and my priorities as far as, like, spending money and blah, blah, blah. So it led me down a path of finding work outside of the state. Um, Now, I I like to keep them raw, and we can cut it out, so mm -hmm. I'm putting a bookend on it. But one of the things that opened you up for that is, unfortunately, your marriage ended. Yes. Yeah, and I'm just being because oh, it is all part of the story. Yeah, I mean, you went through a real tough time with that scenario, yeah. but it did open. It gave you an opportunity to experience something without bags attached, right? Right. Is oh, that yeah. fair to say? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and still, I have ties to to where I'm at or where I'm from because um, I have a house here. But in the so okay, kind of the backup, I guess. So as I got let go from the company and the contract ended and. I started looking for other work. I went to Baton Rouge. I went to Atlanta um, through word of mouth. And that's someone heard about a film. They were looking for somebody. They threw my name in the hat. And these are not high-profile projects. No, absolutely not. Absolutely. This, this was, these are projects that pay the bills. Right. And we call it, I call it Merc work. Yeah, yeah. In something as my personal opinion and how I look at view things is, yes, I want to do the great next thing that's going to influence the world. I would love to do the Star Wars, the Shawshank Redemption, the the, the movies that make the, a difference in people's lives. The Ethers? The Ethers. Uh, I mean, I haven't heard from the producers about that yet. Mm, yeah. <laughs> I wonder what's up with that. <laughs> um, you Yes, as a growing filmmaker, you want to be a part of that. But as a technician and a person of my craft, I need to do these other films, one, to constantly perfect my craft, two, to pay the bills. It's not to say that they are terrible movies in any stretch of the imagination, or they're great movies. They're just movies that you get, and I've met some great people. Some of the most fun I've had have been on very low-budget films, but I've met a group of people that share your name, you share their name, and that's kind of what the business is about, and that's how you partially get a lot of work too well i mean there's a good story um uh, and i won't go into names because of what you told me before we started but you know there was a gentleman yeah uh, that uh, i spoke to on the phone about a, f- a feature he wanted to talk and we were talking about directing me me potentially getting on board producer right. director dp whatever whatever we were discussing at the time and one of the things that kind of came through from him was i dropped your name because you kind of told me you'd worked with him and so yeah. he and i talked and he was so complimentary of your audio abilities. I mean, extremely complimentary. Uh, I think he said he had a total of like two lines of ADR. And this is a tiny budget show. I believe it was under a million. It was. 
two lines of ADR on the entire show, and one of them was, oh, you know, it was like a hit line. And he just went on for a good 10 minutes on how great of a mixer you were. And we all knew it. I knew, I knew you from, from our stuff, but having it come from an outside guy makes me smile right. as your friend, right? So we were so complimentary. I, w- I tell people that story all the time. Because going from there, right? So he tells us that you've gone out, you've done some pretty cool shows. You, what, what were some of the pictures you did independently that maybe? Okay, like, um, some, one of them's coming out soon, I believe. Right, one of the smaller shows before Dave. Oh, uh, Indubious Battle. Right. That's a. Excuse me. That's an independent feature. Um, we shot. I don't want to give a time frame. No, it's fine. We shot recently, and it should be coming out in soon but it had a huge cast but it was very difficult because it had a huge cast and the first week we were there it rained so we're walking around in ankle deep sometimes shin deep mud we can't push our carts around we have to have a gator I mean, it was just tough it was such a tough shoot uh, but worth it in the end because I learned so much of how to work with other uh, different types of producers and directors and actors on a higher level because, I mean, nothing against the up-and-coming actors, but you work with actors on a higher level, you kind of learn how to work with them in, as far as... Because we have to personally put microphones on them. We have to invade their space. It's like, hi, you don't know me. I have to go up your shirt. Right, exactly. <laughs> you know, it, it's it's a tough aspect of it. And we've been talking a lot of career stuff. Uh, just for a minute, talk a little bit about the, some of the technical stuff that you learned on that let's say there's a sound person that was you five years ago what would you tell yourself you know saying look to the future if you work with big actors on a film like this what would you what would you impart uh just do your job don't worry about them yeah uh they're gonna complain they're gonna love you they're gonna hate you everyone's different but first and foremost do your job because that's what you're there to do who cares who they are if they're below a level they're not famous or they're like super duper famous it doesn't matter you're there you're there you're there to do your job and be a professional and that's how you should act at all times that's great that's a good point all right so going from that you do in dubious battle which the, the cast is nuts you have, you have some of the names are like yes insane. Ro- robert duvall um, good god james franco yeah. who else is on it nat wolf uh uh Vincent D'Onofrio, uh, Sam Elliott. No, not Sam Elliott. Sam. When is Sam Elliott? Sam Hughes. Sam Houston. He was in Samuel Jackson. Another. Sam the Eagle. Black Hawk Down. He was in Black Hawk Down. Sam. This will be an editing point. Yes. Yes. Okay. So. Yeah. All right. So you have these these it's in tremendous cast. Uh, you mm-hmm. go from that show, and then you get back, and we haven't done a film. Meaning, me and Horst haven't done a film in a little while. We're in the process of, as some people know, it takes forever to get the money, and the deals, and everything lined up. And so there's some shows coming through Mobile that, um, yeah. Are well, interesting. actually, yeah, that's kind of an interesting story altogether, right? Because uh, I came back from Atlanta to Mobile, um, had a small break. It was the only small break I had throughout the year. Um, got a call to do a show in Atlanta, so I went back to Atlanta. Actually, let me backtrack a little bit. Got a call to do a show in Atlanta, so I committed to that. Uh, shortly after that, I got a call for a show here in Mobile, um, which I passed on. And, and because, one, I didn't have the, the knowledge because of the, the type of film it was going to be. It was going to use a lot of water stuff, didn't have the equipment or knowledge of how to do that. So I didn't want to put myself in a position to where I'm responsible for a large portion of the movie, uh, being the sound, <laughs> right? And them get mad at me because I delivered some a, an inferior product. Because uh, that's important to me is my reputation, whether it's good or bad. Um, and being able to deliver a good product is super important, whether they use it or not. Because a lot of larger budget films will go ahead and ADR the whole film but I don't want to have to force them to do it because I mean they're paying me to do my job and I want to be the best I can be at that so with that in mind I I was like you know what I'm going to pass on the guys I appreciate it so and I already committed to this film um, because I didn't want to back out of what I'm a verbal person in the sense of I give a verbal agreement 
I'm going to stand by it. Because even with the Atlanta one, I got a call for another project in New Orleans actually just after I committed to the one in Atlanta. That's so how it works. When it rains, it pours. Yeah. So so I had to talk to them and say, you know, I'd love to I would love to do the film, but I can't. I've already committed to another film, so forth and so on. And they, they like, you're going to get paid more, blah, blah, blah. I could have made a lot more money in New Orleans, but I decided to go with my word and, and promise. So, I, you know, I did the film in Atlanta. It ended um, mid, uh, I don't want to give a date. It ended, and so I came back home to Mobile, and the other feature that was filming here, the one I passed on, um, was still filming. So I got a call on that one to do second unit stuff, which was not water-based filming. So I agreed. I agree. I was like, oh, yeah, that'd be great. I'd love to do that. Um, got on that. And, and it was only second unit, though. It was like only it was second unit, only yeah. Second unit, yeah. And I was a second, second unit sound mixer right. by myself. <laughs> So you were the boom op the whole I was thing. the boom op. I was the mixer. Yeah, I was. So they they were kind of running the low budget method. On they a were unit. yeah they were running a low budget because they didn't budget for it initially. Right. And they were started to run behind obviously because they're still filming. Why I went and did another film and came back. So they're still filming. So they're trying to scramble and catch up. What happens a lot. I mean it. You you never know when you go out to a film on set. You never know what's going to happen one day to the next. Right. You have an idea, but. <laughs> And best, you have hopes. <laughs> best laid plans is how it always begins. Right. So at least you have a plan. Yeah. <laughs> I like to have a plan. Right. Uh, so, yeah, on that show, I met uh, uh, the main unit sound mixer, Dave Parker. Um, he and I hit it off tremendously. Uh, and that has been the next change to where I'm at now. Uh, by working with Dave on that show, we were able to you know, start a friendship and um, by the end of the week, he had said, you know what, pack your stuff up. You're coming to L.A. with me. Right. I want now, you to be my third. But working for Dave on that, though, didn't he pick you up to start doing utility? Yeah. So, so yeah. that's one of the things I wanted to point out is that you went from, okay, I'm the mighty mixer of second unit. But then you kind of took a step down. Oh, absolutely. To become the mixer. Uh, which he, he was having trouble with his utility on the show. And uh, he, he, through conversation and um, just surely by seeing what I do, as by watching me work, without even working with me, he invited me to come back and be his utility. Because I was only going to do a uh, second unit for a day or two. Right. So he invited me back as his utility in order to continue working for the next two weeks. Um, but and that was based on my work ethic. Right. And I, yeah, I was a mixer, but I I didn't care about stepping down and becoming a utility. I you know I'm this is a guy who's had twenty five plus years in the industry. I'm maybe four at this point. So just so, for, for people who might not know, you know, the levels uh, or what kind of all these things are, real quick, yeah. you know, kind of give the hierarchy of the sound okay, yeah. department. And and just to note, this is pre-695 time frame. Yeah, yeah, I'm still not in the so union So he's non-union at this, union point. At this yeah. point. And I just yeah. want to point that out because it does, it does you know, it's important in the, and, in the and narrative. And something, yeah. Uh, it, okay, so let's do the hierarchy first. So you have the sound mixer, which is the head, uh, the department head, and then you have the boom op, and then you have the utility. And that's the typical hierarchy of um well that's the typical hierarchy of sound and you typically only have three people for every film you do which is one of the smallest production uh, departments on production um you have rare occasions where certain uh film budgets allow and or projects because of the complication in the project you need more people and they have that discussion. So I, I haven't been on one of those yet. So I'd love to. <laughs> so just so basically, you went from being the head of the second unit department, the head of the second unit, to the, the bottom the rung, bottom tier on the first. On the first, yes. And um, a good career choice. Yes. Oh, tremendously. Yeah. So all right. So you meet Dave. You, you guys get it all hit it off really well. You're, yeah. You become fast I'm, friends. He invites you out. You eventually go to L.A. 
Uh, yeah. Uh, well, a string of things, a string of events happened in my life. Uh, two things that are tying me to where I'm from, oh, my house and my dog. My just before I started the film, my dog died. Yeah, which I was had to put horrible. her to sleep. It was very, very uh, tough. It was the hardest things I had to do in my life. Um, the divorce was easier. So, yeah, that happened. Uh, and so I, when that happened, I actually started working. I, For me, when something happens in my life, it's better for me to work to get my mind off things, and then I can slowly kind of take it in and deal with whatever tragedy is happening. So that happened. I started working. Dave and I hit it off. He invites me to come out to L.A. while we're filming in Mobile, and... Uh, says I'll get you in the union. You, uh, how many days? Blah blah blah. We have. I get the techni- technical part of being in the union. I've already had it, so it was a matter of just being introduced to the union and him saying, "Hey, this guy's qualified. You should. We. Sh- he's moving to L.A. Y- you need to let him in." And it was a matter of going out there and doing that. The paperwork uh, and all that kind of stuff. Absolutely, yeah. the paperwork, the d- the dues, the fees, blah blah blah. Uh, I'd been toying with the union while living here uh, because we're in a kind of a Mobile's kind of centrally, almost centrally located between Atlanta and New Orleans, and there's two separate unions. Um, there's one. There's a union for New Orleans and there's a union for Atlanta, and I'd been going back and forth whether to join one or not and which one to join because uh, I was working in both areas. Okay. We're driving you down. Um, so what was teetering in my head is like, which which area am I going to get more work in? And uh, which which one would be more beneficial to join if I were to join one? Atlanta was is booming. It still is. Yeah, New Atlanta. Orleans is starting to go downhill because of a lot of... Well, I don't want to say it's going downhill. I, I, the productions are fewer because of certain... Uh, the tax incentives. In- incentives, yeah. The incentive program's kind of wishy-washy well, in that well, area. Y- yeah, we've yet to see if it's had a major impact, but it right. was enough of a scare that we saw an exodus of, at least in my opinion, we saw projects change um, based on knowledge. We've been told projects have changed status and gone to other states, and then we've had crew pick up and move to Atlanta, actors as well, right. moving to Atlanta. So, all right, so Atlanta, yeah, New Orleans. Yeah, yeah it, you know, and my thought was I could just live here and then travel back and forth wherever I needed to. Um and never join a union because I'm not. I could I could still to this day do non-union independent features and still make a great living and a great career. Right. Which I've discussed with, with Drew in in length before. I'm st- I would still be happy doing that. Um, and I would advise anybody. And this is just well, my personal opinion. Unless you're going to live in that city and work in that city. Don't join the union until you figure out where you're going to live. Right. Because you're, you're, you're wasting your time because you may live here, join a union, and then work somewhere else because it's a traveling circus. Right. We go. We are nomads. Right. So when you go to 695, though, that gives you a little bit of an edge. Well, in L.A., I mean, it's like if I were going to live in Atlanta, I would join that union because. Was that 478 over there? It doesn't matter. 479. 479. Yeah. Um, so I would join that union, blah, blah, blah. Uh, living in LA, you have to be in a union. Right. There's, there's no choice. I mean, you can, you can work as an independent because I mean, there's obviously independent as you grow, you get vested to where you can be in the union. But I mean, I was technically at the point where I could join the union. So it made a huge difference, um, in the sense of, you know, now I have benefits. Uh, I have a group of people who back me in any situation when it comes to protecting my rights to work and what I'm supposed to have in my work environment. So, I mean, that's, to be honest, a lot of the problem with people coming out of Hollywood or above the line, coming out of Hollywood and coming to smaller areas, they try to take advantage of that. Right. Which isn't fair, right. and, and so. But when they go back, and th- and this, I could be wrong, but this is just my opinion. They talk bad about the people in that area when there's nothing wrong with 
a percentage of the people that are working in that profession, in that area. It's really the people trying to take advantage of that, which is unfair. Right. So there are pluses and minuses to the union. There are pluses and minuses. I mean, not everybody's good, unfortunately. (laughs) No, that's good. Um, Okay, so you're you're in L.A. You're kind of doing your own thing out there. You're you're, you know, um, uh, paying a mortgage, paying a mortgage in another state, paying rent in L.A. and um, getting to see all of L.A. because I'm working in one location to the next, just driving through traffic. Traffic. (laughs) But but the fun part is to me is I mean you you're a testament of. Uh, no classical educational no. format. Uh, you are the definition of working hard got you to where you are. I mean, you absolutely. Had, did you have lucky breaks? Yes, but all of those lucky lucky breaks were because you opened yourself up via e- experiencing something. Right, and, that, and that's why I tell breaks. people when I go out there, like, where'd you come from? And I give them, like, the short version. And of 41 minutes. So, favorite movie with sound? Sound. Horse, favorite movie with sound? The Great Dictator. <laughs> Okay, I'm going with Star Wars. Go. You got one? Oh. You can't think about it. Just say it. Whatever the first movie is, go. Just say a movie. Oh, we stumped. See, it happened. Yeah, it happened to me. I know, but, but I'm always the, the gate holder of this. All right, so you're in L.A. and working and everything's golden. I didn't mean to interrupt you. That's just part yeah. of the thing. 41 minutes. That's what happens. <laughs> but, yeah. Just to Star keep Wars. you sharp. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. It it's always Star Wars. sound. Completely did, which leads into a brilliant segue to kind of move it over. Uh, on set versus post audio. If you right now could do anything you wanted in the sound business inside the film industry, because I know what you would say, you'd be like, win a million dollars and retire and sleep. Yeah. <laughs> Who wouldn't? <laughs> right. Uh, no, if, be I'd a professional still binger on Netflix. Um, um, what would what would you do post audio on set versus post audio or you know anywhere in the sound space? Or if you want to jump ship and go camera, you can do that. But whatever. Which, which that was a funny story we never talked about. What? While we were growing and doing our first projects, I actually came to you and said, I want it out of sound. I want to be in camera. That's true. That is true. And because I was bored. <laughs> The irony, <laughs> years later. Here he is, uh, Jared yeah. Jones, sound man who's bored. Uh, and you said, uh, we can figure something out, but honestly, I don't have anybody else. I really need you to, to continue. And, and I said, okay. Which was, I'll be candid, on this podcast, complete and utter manipulation because nobody wants to do sound. No. Nobody. It is, I, it's nobody. actually a great growth. <laughs> I, mean, I love I, it. I love it now. And I'm very happy I made that decision. And you helped me make that decision. <laughs> it was out of complete and utter necessity, right? No, it, absolutely. It will, essentially, that's how I got into it. I mean, no one was doing it. And I'd had a little bit of experience. And our other friends who do it professionally didn't have time to do it. Um. Well, I, so I, I was like, okay, I'll do well, it. Why not? This is an interesting thing that I wanted to ask you because often when you talk to people that want to work in film, mm-hmm. right, or are working in film but want to move somewhere else, kind of like what you were saying. Yeah. There's this, you know, this this dream, this, I, I, I want to work in film because it's so amazing. It's the best. How do you do it? How do I work in film? How do I be a sound man? How do I do this? And your story is kind of less about pursuing film and just sort of finding it. And it's there and you're good at it and you do it. And I'm just wondering, do you, because you obviously see the people who, you know, probably ask you the question, how do I, you uh, know. Get daily, it? daily. Uh, do you see that you have any advantage or disadvantage, you know, to the people who maybe, you know, have this dream of being in film and you more, this is my job, I'm a technician, I'm a craftsman, I work at it, but advantage I'm not. Advantage or disadvantage, I don't know. Well, I mean, because, um, like, you know, you see some people that are really get disenfranchised when they think of film and it's like this amazing thing and then the reality gets I work with people are they're doing this job and they're disenchanted with it (laughs) (laughs) they've been doing it for a long time um I mean and that that to me comes back to having goals I mean they had goals they've met their goals but now they don't have any goals past that I mean personally can you say that personally again personally I you know, I want to work on a very large film eventually. I don't have to if I don't. Not a big deal. Um, as the sound mixer. Right now, I've stepped down. I'm the, I'm the utility. I've, I've humbled myself to um, learn from people who've been in the industry for years. So my goal is to become a sound mixer, a desired sound mixer. Because 
I don't want to have to search for work. I want work to come to me. Right. I mean, that's the ultimate goal in, in your profession. You want, as a director, you want studios to say, hey, I want you to direct our next feature. Yeah, you want to become a brand, essentially. Right, right. Um, which is a great segue. And, and you, I, I got to be honest with you, watching your career, uh, having been, I mean, I hate to say, I wasn't the guy that terminated the contract, but I was kind of your employer. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, you've, honestly, you've helped me so much. I know, much I know. I, but being career. in that you've position. pushed me. But to see you to step things. out on your own and get into your own space mm-hmm. and and be successful, I, I mean, what was it, 2014 was the first, well, 2013 was the first year, but we had a long contract yeah. still. It was a yeah. rollover. But let's say 2014 was your first year. Actually, the end of 2014 is when it all started happening. Is that when it was? Yeah, it was last fall. Okay. So that's when it all rolled over. So 2015, though, right? Mm-hmm. You You survived in 2015 solely on finding your own work. Absolutely. I've worked every m- month. Every Didn't you do that in 14 I've, as well, though? Didn't you almost do it in 14? Oh, I thought you did almost. Okay, so... Now, I worked on a, a, a feature or a TV show every month of the year. In 2015? M- in 2015, minus December, because I was getting burnt out. And so you took the time off? I took the time off. So, Which is fine, because everyone does that in Hollywood you have anyway. To. It closes. You have to, yeah. All right, so you... Did that? Where are you going? At, like, what is your your process? Let's focus it on as a process. What is your pre Dave or or even with Dave? But what is your process for finding work? Well, it was it was just happenstance. Uh, that year, uh, well, okay. So on a film you and I worked on together, we I met a gentleman named Julian Cabrera, or Julian Cabrera. Um, and he and I met, we talked, I let him, I need, we, at one point we needed second unit stuff that Horst was directing. And I was like, well, this guy has sound experience, so I'm going to give him some equipment, let him work with Horst. He can do the second unit sound. Um, he did a great job. And to this day, I'd trust him with anything. Um, he and I, uh, just started a great friendship and he heard about some stuff and sent my resume called me up say hey man i heard about this movie blah 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 let me send, send me your resume i'll forward it blah 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 so he did that he helped me get a job and then i would hear about something and i would send my resume and say hey send me yours i'm gonna send it with mine so we kind of worked together in tandem on finding work for each other i was a mixer he was the boom mop as a mixer if i get the job i get to pull in my department unfortunately in the independent world, you don't get a utility. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, you want one, but you don't get it. So, uh, so he and I worked in tandem um, in 2014. And that and that's the thing is so it's relationships. Absolutely, which is one of the things Absolutely. that we, we it's so important. It we talk about it a good bit is that um, you know you'll you'll hear it in the AFM stuff, you'll hear it in other podcasts that we've done is that the importance of that relationship. Absolutely. I mean, earlier I'd said, you know, nepotism runs rife through this business. And that, you know, it's a bit of a joke, but I mean, the reality of the situation is I have never gotten any job by cold calling. I've, every single job I have ever gotten has been because of some relationship. Even if it's just a PA Absolutely. and another PA knew me and suggested me or, or whatever. Absolutely. But, and it, it's, so it's not so much nepotism more being Word professional and professional and having, having a good work ethic absolutely yeah. absolutely but that'll that'll apply to a for for an above the line because that's kind of a below the line moment so for an above the line moment just for me personally i can share a quick story so there was a book that i uh le- read and listened to because i was that obsessed with it i really wanted this movie more than anything i would found out who had it and I saw that a friend of a friend had a connection via LinkedIn. And that's a trick that, that I've used is seeing if they share that same space on social media and how close they really are. And so I reached out to the friend and he reached out for me and, and kind of coached me and helped me draft a letter. And I sent it over and they looked at it and they reviewed it. I got to the top of a heap on a movie that that I wanted more than anything. They didn't go with me. Something about my work didn't resonate. That's perfectly fine. Um but you got the door open. But I got the door open to have a conversation with a studio level company that's way out of my league normally. But it got me at least in the door right. to have the convo. Now that could lead to them remembering that and coming Absolutely. back. You never know. But the idea is humbling yourself to the point of whether it's creative or whether you're above the line moment or it's a below the line moment. It's humbling yourself to reach out, ask your friends because the this industry is about calling in the favor, calling you know, in the favor, being the friend. 
and knowing who to talk to on set when you're working. And it's it, being genuine. Yeah, and be, yeah. absolutely. It, it, in an industry where there's so many ungenuine people, being genuine will get you so far. I, I absolutely agree with that. I, I think that that's gotten me quite far as well. Because it's the same problem with social media. You want that human connection. Yeah. And you want it to be real. Um, so a lot of people, I feel, are kind of drifting away from social media right now and going out and having a cup of coffee again and having a beer or, you know, actually being face-to-face with people. And so, that, I think that's important with the industry side of things Absolutely, well. absolutely. You know, when... When you everybody asks for help when they need it, you know, in this industry, you know, they're like, "Hey, I need, I need a hand. I haven't had a work in a while. Do you know of any work?" Um, and there's a difference when you expect it, and when you're genuinely asking, and people can read that. And if and if you've made that connection, you've made the friendship. They're really going to try to help you. At least in my my experience. Someone you, told me when I was out there, it's better to be liked than be good. Nice. Wow, it's a true point. And I, it goes in line. I, I Horst said a piece to me years ago when he left for New Zealand. Uh, he said, never be afraid to ask for help. And I've always resonated. And it goes in line with a piece of advice Tony gave me when I was uh, a young man in college. Uh, and, and it was about dating. And he said, what's the worst thing they can say but no? So I apply both things. I ask for help. And what's the worst thing they can say is no. I'll cold call someone if I have to. What's the worst thing they can say is no. Right. You never know. You don't no. know what's going to happen on a given day. It's more a matter of opening yourself up by being positive and focusing and being professional, which Jared is the testament for and why we had him on the show. So with that, we're going to kind of wrap it back down and close it out for this episode. Um, so I want to thank Jared for being here. Thanks for having me. I appreciate you taking your time to come out and uh, critique our mic setup. <laughs> I, yeah, I have one technical question for you before we leave. Um, in, in our recording room right now, um, we are positioned about five feet away from the air conditioning unit. Mm-hmm. Um, you as a professional sound man, how, how, how would you react to this? I don't pick the location. I just record at it. There it is. If you take away a quote, <laughs> there's your quote. I don't pick the location. I just record there. You're just doing what you tell me to do. Exactly right. <laughs> Thanks, Jared. All are. right. Well, uh, so. Uh, fix it in post. Fix it in post. So as always, stay frosty, stay working, and uh, stay focused. Thank you for listening to the Mobcast Network.